grief can be lonely and isolating, especially for those experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. At times, it may even feel as if the sorrow might consume you. Welcome to the Birthies Loss Support Podcast. Join me, your host, Michelle Smith, as I hold a much-needed space for grief, remembrance, and the journey of healing through conversations with grief and trauma experts, the sharing of stories of loss and love, as well as guided meditations. Hello and welcome. I'm so grateful that you are here. And I thought that I would start this week's episode with a story of what brought me to the stillbirth day. Through these years, I've helped parents to resolve birth trauma and worked with couples that have lost previous pregnancies and were now often tentatively celebrating another pregnancy. I truly understood their mixture of joy and fear, having had experienced pregnancy after a loss. And then in June 2014, we were devastated to discover that one of my hypnobirthing clients that were like family to me had an unexplained stillbirth at 39 weeks of pregnancy. I attended their birth as their doula, and we said hello and goodbye to their sweet daughter, Rowan. Five weeks later, another of my dear hypnobirthing clients lost her baby boy, Santiago, also at 39 weeks of pregnancy due to a placental abruption. And she almost lost her life as well. I experienced the loss of my birth innocence, as Rowan's mother so eloquently put it, and what Gary Vogel and I spoke on in our interviews I had indeed been quite innocent, for I had not personally had a client experience a stillbirth during their current pregnancy in my 14 years of practice. With the loss of these sweet babies, as well as the tragic loss of another family member at only 18 years old the day after sweet Rowan's stillbirth, I feel God propelled me into this field where birth, loss, grief, and healing meet. It was Rowan's mother that gently asked me what the experience was like for me to support them through the loss of their daughter. I replied that honestly it was one of the most difficult and yet rewarding experiences of my life. She asked me if I would consider supporting other families and I replied yes, yes I would. I've always felt that I was meant to do some sort of hospice work and was already familiar with the role of death midwives or end-of-life doulas. I had appreciated the fact that when I worked for Jenny Joseph, the birthplace was right next door to a funeral home, and it just seemed so strangely perfect in a way, because birth and death have so many parallels. I didn't know at the time how significant that would become. Rowan's mother then told me about an organization she found called Still Birthday. I explored the site and immediately reached out to Heidi Faith, its founder. 
I began my journey into grief support and certified as a stillbirth day birth and bereavement doula and chaplain in order to more fully serve grieving families. For I find that I can no longer keep birth and death separate, for they are part of the same continuum of life. And this is why I feel so incredibly grateful to have the opportunity to have this conversation with Heidi Faith in this episode. I sincerely hope that you gain as much as I have from her heartfelt work and her humble and compassionate presence. Heidi Faith is an international speaker and the founder, president, and CEO of Still Birthday, which is the legacy of her fourth child who died and was born in the first trimester on April 19, 2011. The vision for Still Birthday is not only deeply personal, intimate and closely special, but it is here to spread our paradigm globally of truly understanding the importance and sacredness of the places where birth and bereavement meet. With a background in social work and counseling of abused and at-risk youth, when Heidi became pregnant with her first child, she felt her calling to shift to clinical perinatal psycho-spiritual therapy and birth support work. As an emergency services chaplain and certified grief and loss coach, Heidi completed her studies through the Assemblies of God Theological Seminary and is a member of the American Academy of Christian Counselors, Grief, Crisis, and Disaster Division. Heidi holds certificates through Cascade Christian Childbirth Association and Birth Education and Labor Support and is a member of the International Christian Childbirth Coalition. As a double-certified crisis pregnancy counselor and pre- and post-abortive counseling, she began the Newborn Adoption Doula Network, which provides birth support to families experiencing the transition of fostering or adoption. Heidi has received additional training through Kansas City Hospice and Palliative Care and Hospice Foundation of America's Hospice Clergy End-of-Life Education Project. Her long-term goal is to open Still Birthday Palliative Birth Center. Welcome, Heidi, to the Birthies podcast. I am so honored and a little bit teary to have you here with me today. I'm just so honored. Me too. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Thank you. So we're coming off the month of October which is Pregnancy and Infant Loss Awareness Month. So I thought it would be nice just to have a conversation about still birthday and that intersection of birth and death. Mm-hmm. And so to get started, do you mind sharing what brought you to your work? What brought still birthday to life? First, I want to begin by telling you how enamored I am to have this opportunity to have some space just with you. As you know, as things start to progress, time kind of changes your permissions to really enter into deliberate conversation about the thing you're doing rather than doing the thing you're doing. And so having an opportunity to just really pause and take stock of the past decade it's really an invitation to my spirit, and I want to thank you for offering that for me. Oh, you're so welcome. So birthday started, it's an extension of my life, and so to try to make that as 
I don't know, as expeditious as possible. I was raised as an orphan. And when social workers are the the people of influence in your life, social workers become who you might aspire to be someday. And so I really was on this trajectory of becoming a social worker when I experienced my first pregnancy. And that really was transformative for me. And I learned about doula support and was so marveled by it that I really pushed the brakes on everything and took this left turn and became a doula. Mm. And so I had been a doula for about 10 years when I went in for an ultrasound and learned that my baby wasn't alive. And it was in that moment that I really feel that stillbirth day was born. It was one moment I was in total darkness. It was you know, the ultrasound lady was talking to me and I just wanted to say, just be quiet because I was sure that this miracle was going to take place and that my baby was going to return to life. And when that ultrasound screen was shut off um, and the totality of the moment was really solidified in that moment, I was absolutely overwhelmed. Um, I didn't know how to get up off of the crinkly paper of the ultrasound table. Everything was catastrophic. And mm-hmm. I just, at the exact same time, I just wanted to find the next mom. Where is she? I'm panicked for her because I can't undo what's happening to me, but I have to find her. I don't want her to be alone. And uh, weeks went by and I was so unsettled with this sense of where is she? I have to find her. She's going through this darkness too. It was a July night of that same year. And the way that I tell my story is literally the Holy Spirit woke me up and said, what are you waiting for? So I started a free blog. I thought it would need to be this beautiful thing and very meticulous and organized and everything put together. But that's not the way that it happened. I just started with with a free blog and I started a pot of coffee in the middle of the night and just started pouring everything I knew about birth in the third trimester and translated that to what is it like for birth in the second trimester? And what is it like for birth in the first trimester? And I did that for about a week. I would tuck the kids in bed, start a pot of coffee, and just pour everything I knew into this free database. And at the end of it, I launched it and I shared it with birth workers and just said, you know, what's your take on this? What's the vibe that you're getting from it? Do you like it? And it touched every demographic. It touched all the different sort of communities that you would think would be unreachable if you're reaching the other community Mm -hmm. really was crossing all these thresholds. It was pro-life versus pro-choice. Everyone was on board with it. It was, you know, any way that you could slice the birth community. Right. We all really were just touched by this message that there needs to be a paradigm shift. And I think that globally we were ready for it. I think that we were ready for this beginning of this paradigm change that started to take place. Yeah, that's, I have so many thoughts as I was listening. That moment when you hear, sorry, I'm just, I'm I'm sitting with it. When you hear those words, there's no heartbeat or, Mm -hmm. and going to, was your sonographer compassionate? Even when you were saying, I just wanted her to stop talking Mm -hmm. for a moment. Mm -hmm. And I was just 
thinking to how those moments transcend all cultures, all faiths, mm -hmm. all demographics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it really does. I think when it does, it makes people uncomfortable because it's a new thing. And so, especially at the beginning, there were a lot of questions to be fleshed out. Like, Heidi, you're sharing your face openly. So how do you feel about me when I don't have that? Mm -hmm. You know, things like that. And I think what ends up happening is that Phil Birthday has become a platform for all of our voices. We all bring something very special and unique. One thing that I'm finally starting to see is a real unified voice speaking into, for example, the demographic of families, women who are of color, mm -hmm. the specific statistics that they carry, the specific realities that they're charged to carry and hold and the difficulties in that. And I'm not a person of color. So what Stillbirth Day does is it gives all of us a platform to speak authentically into our authentic demographics. And I think what ends up coming from that is the imbued permission that we realize that we have, not that we're granted permission, but that we have permission intrinsically to be who we are and to allow that to speak into such a vulnerable space. As a birth doula, as a traditional birth doula for about a decade, I was really trained and sharpened to believe that medical intervention was the steepest left turn, that you do everything in your power as a birth doula to prevent medical support. And some within our demographic, and there's the right doula for every family, but there are some doulas who believe that medical intervention is the full stop where doula support meets. That is the threshold that I will support you until you need an epidural. And that's my threshold. I might support you until you need a cesarean birth. And that's my threshold. If you cross that threshold, I will leave the hospital. I will leave the birth space. That is not where my training has carried me to. That's not where my heart space is carried to. And we all have different reasons for that, for the individuals who do carry that. But that was my framework. It was cesarean is sort of the worst case scenario. So what can I do to prevent that at all odds? Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk like this little sprinkle of miscarriage or the sprinkle of stillbirth in our dialogue, you know, the two pages in chapter seven of this text that we're reading, just to sort of say that we covered our bases, but we don't really unpack there. And we've always perceived it as this totally different dimension. That's really sort of off the table. That's for other people, for, for the death speak people. That's not for the life speak people. Mm. And so what I found with still birthday was really this merging of two worlds that if I am a doula and I'm walking with a mother and she's telling me that she's pregnant and that she's in labor, then I will walk with her every step of the way. I will walk with her through every left turn, no matter what it looks like. And in fact, I will find hope in those places. There won't be a threshold where I will say, this is too much. I cannot step into this space. I just flat find that way so that she knows that she has the full support of what a doula is intended to be. That's so powerful because there can be different philosophies of being a doula mm -hmm. and some are more inclusive, some are full spectrum, some are natural birth is the way to go. Mm -hmm. Some doulas feel more comfortable 
and more medicalized birth. I think the work as a doula often is to let go of our paradigm of what a birth is to be like Mm -hmm. and to really hold that space for what that family wants, needs, what reflects their values, what reflects their spiritual beliefs. There's so many nuances in it. Mm -hmm. And then it gets even further complicated, I think, because you're literally not allowed to fully erase who you are. I think it's, Mm -hmm. I would go so far as to say it's impossible to actually do that. We do that in theory. We do that in an approach, but what strengthens us to do this work is who we are authentically. So it is that value set of, I just want to see you as a person. I just want to, whatever that guttural drive is that you're founded on, you do bring that. You can put aside the messages that emboldened you to do that, that are very specific or niche to your demographic. I don't need to preach Bible verses over someone to know that it is you know, the Bible that strengthens me to then be that authentic support, whatever that looks like. Mm-hmm. Even for the person who says that they have been harmed by the Bible, I think that's something specific and important to speak into as well. But I think just generally as a doula, the doula role itself is a very specific calling. I think that we do have that traditional sense of live birth outcomes, third trimester, early postpartum lactation, all of these sorts of things. And that is very valuable. But when we're talking about serving families who are experiencing births in the first trimester, a woman experiences a miscarriage literally every minute, Wow, every minute in just the U.S. alone. So when I think about still birthday and what makes it different than other doula organizations is that it's almost like basic CPR. It's almost like a very basic skill set that every person should have. If you are to be a good neighbor, if your neighbor knocks on your door and she says, I am pregnant and I am bleeding, you should have a basic skill set to know what to do, what to say, how to come alongside her. So we reach a lot of families in that way. We reach a lot of doula curious people by simply saying, this is a very basic skill set that every single person ought to have. But we also reach people who really have a heart to speak very vibrantly into pregnancy and infant loss in this community who have experienced it. They want to do a ministry. They want to do a nonprofit. They really have a heart to speak into this space. And then there's also traditional live birth doulas who have this calling in their mind. It's very framed with, again, that third trimester expected live birth outcome Uh, lactation, early postpartum, all those things that you think of. But, you know, again, in their training, it was two pages of chapter seven that just sort of brushed the word miscarriage. They didn't really unpack it. And I think that still birthday is an important supplement to any doula training. And I really want to show that collaborative spirit of harmony and love toward these other doula organizations that do have that live birth emphasis because it really allows space to unpack the wholeness of the beautiful community of healing families who have experienced pregnancy and infant loss. So it's really for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. Cause as a doula, 
as a birth worker, you're going to run across it. I mean, I'm sitting with, you said, a woman experiences, a person experiences a miscarriage every minute here in the United States, mm-hmm. every day. Mm-hmm. Yes, ma'am. And I had been a doula for 10 years before that really occurred to me. I was that demographic that had just brushed the paint stroke over miscarriage and then kept right on going. But in reality, when I look back on those families that I've served that were the traditional expected live birth outcome through trimester births, I can look back and question now moments of dystocia. Maybe, maybe there was something in her past that she hadn't been able to speak to, to really unpack. And so we're doing our best to use language to really try to speak into these things. You know, miscarriage really isn't a medical term. It's a softened version of spontaneous abortion. Mm -hmm. We talk about things like rainbow baby, and and there's some in our community who really like that. There's some who don't. Right. The idea of this rainbow is this continuity because families who've experienced pregnancy and infant loss have been told, you know, things like, well, um, you can just try again. And, you know, loved ones who speak that really do mean well, but when they, I mean, we can go into platitudes and that can be a whole conversation because platitudes, I feel like they're this thing where I am the mother who's given birth to a baby who isn't alive, given birth in the first trimester. And so now I have this new test in life in front of me. How do I think? How do I move forward? How do I assimilate this situation into my life? And my loved ones are sort of speaking over my shoulder giving me the answers. They have some sort of an answer key to this test that I am charged with taking. It is my test. So while you might give me answers that really would be the answer to my test, it's cheating if I don't really absorb this as my own authentic answer. For some moms, perhaps they do digest this internally and say, you know what? I can't try again. I can try again. And so when it becomes person-centered, when it becomes the person is allowed to find the allowance to narrate their own story, there's a lot of empowerment to that. And so we're even sort of starting to move away from this idea of, I had a miscarriage, which is a past tense, one-time experience that you might plot on a time graph, whereas I am the mother of a child who isn't alive today. So today's parenting might look different than tomorrow's because parenting is universal and it's unique. And so again, we're just really exploring language to give ourselves permission to authenticate our own stories. Yeah, that's such a different view or paradigm Mm -hmm. to give birth in the first trimester Mm -hmm. instead of I experienced a miscarriage. Mm -hmm. It's embodying that it is your baby and you did give birth to your baby Mm -hmm. and finding space to honor that loss of that child. Mm -hmm. And even in that is the child lost, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point. We did a presentation in Germany back toward the beginning of stillbirth day and something that their community does that I really love. They have a word rather than saying, I had a miscarriage. They say, I have a star child. 
Mm. And that's how they identify. They say, I have five children and I have a star child. So this word Sternenkinder is really, really precious in that it's just really validating the whole experience of the family story. That's really beautiful. Mm-hmm. And in that too, there are some women or parents I found that don't feel this profound sense that they lost a baby, mm-hmm. that their child died. Mm-hmm. They can view it more of a, more of this is a natural occurrence. Mm-hmm. Yes. One in four women will experience pregnancy loss. Mm-hmm. And it's a part of life. And it's a different type of mourning and acceptance. Mm-hmm. Am I making sense in that? You absolutely are. I've worked with moms who have experienced miscarriage and they celebrated it. They were absolutely excited because they had had such a journey of struggling with fertility that this was the first indication of tangible hope for them Mm. that they can, quote, try again. It was very um, positive and joyful. And for those families, that is absolutely worth all of the celebration. I think that if I really, really spend time being authentic in my most early moments on that ultrasound table, and I don't want to, um, I don't want to discredit my faith journey because who I am in regards to my spiritual journey is very significant to me. So I want to be careful that I speak without, without blemishing that. But in my earliest moments, that sort of faith identity to my baby really wasn't what I was so impassioned about. Again, even as I'm hearing myself, I want to be careful with how I say this. It was the incongruency that was that I needed to reconcile. I was hungry to reconcile the incongruency that here I was, I had waited my 45 minutes in the waiting room like we do before we can see the ultrasound technician, the sonographer, and looking at all the baby magazines, all things baby, all things maternity. And when the ultrasound screen was shut off, I felt like I was expecting this sort of laundry shoot to happen that, you know, she was going to just sort of open up the space where the table was and sort of discharge me into like the trash basin outside that I wasn't Mm. really a mom anymore. I wasn't really pregnant anymore. And the words that are used medically, they're purposeful and they have a medical base, but they definitely are lacking in the congruency department. We need to get that debris out of there is what I was told. Mm. Just expect a heavy period is what I was told. And I know enough about what a heavy period is and isn't. This was an incongruency to me. And so in this journey for proper language, you know, it touched every single demographic that I knew that were people of influence in my life. It was the medical community because I was a doula. It was the feminine community because I am a woman. I went to my church family, my every baby counts family and was told Mm -hmm. God needed another angel. And if you really want to get into the nitty gritty of what I believe in scripture, humans and angels are not the same, that humans have a special place in God's plan. An infertile woman in heaven gets to be a mother now, as if God recycles people this way. So 
the incongruency mm. in my life was present in the faith community, but it was the incongruency itself really that I was charged to really reconcile. I needed language that validated what I was experiencing. That's so powerful. And even as you're sharing that story, it's like this, this switch flips and it can be so sudden for not everyone. I don't want to act like for everyone so sudden, but often it can be, Mm -hmm. and it is a complete 180 Mm -hmm. and where do I stand? Where do I go? Yeah. And years ago, there just were not the resources that we have now. Mm -hmm. And it does for many. And again, I don't want to act like all because everyone's experience is unique, like you said, but it really can cause you to have that incongruency. It can cause you to question. It can kind of smack you where your faith is, for lack of better words. What do I really believe? Mm -hmm. And are these beliefs or these thoughts comforting to me? which being told that your baby is an angel Mm -hmm. for some women, that is so comforting Mm -hmm. for some families Mm -hmm. and other families. It just isn't Mm -hmm. my baby's not an angel. Mm -hmm. I experienced a first trimester birth and I don't think of my baby as an angel. Mm -hmm. And that's where it gets tricky. I think. Mm -hmm. I think the most important thing The takeaway for people who have not been impacted personally by this event, by this specific pregnancy and infant loss, by this specific birth and death of this child is rather than coming at the experience with statements, we need to come with questions Mm. because I think when we're looking at the issue of the horrifying statistics that women of color face. Mm the harrowing realization that, you know, these statistics are against their odds of health and wellness and life. We should have alarm bells ringing all of us. I think that it's easier for us to look at this specific example and say, well, you're a person who is um, black. I'm a person who is white. Therefore, I don't think I'm equipped to fully enter into the conversation in this specific facet of your story. I think that we lose that when we see someone who we think looks like us or matches some of our story or some of our demographic. People who are of the same faith can have very wildly different interpretations of their own experience. Mm -hmm. People who are of the same age group, people who are of the same socioeconomic status, people who are of the same marital status. Not every teen pregnancy looks the same. Not every teen pregnancy and infant loss looks the same. So we would do well to table the statements that we might have and instead come into the situation with a curiosity. And even though that person, literally the word that best described my earliest moments was impossible. Everything was impossible. How do I, how do I tell my husband that his baby inside of me is not alive? It was impossible. 
how do I get up off of the crinkly paper of the ultrasound table? Impossible. Everything was impossible. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I also knew that the messages thrust at me were incongruent and they were not going to help me stand. In fact, they were stumbling blocks. So it's an interesting thing. It's a really interesting sort of dichotomy that she might feel in every way, helpless, hopeless, lost, confused, impossible to do anything, but we still need to grant her the realization that she has permission to lead and to let her do that. Yes, (laughs) that is so profound. And I feel like we need more education for medical providers Mm-hmm. regarding compassionate care, mm-hmm. trauma-informed care. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking in my conversation with Gary Vogel, one of the things that he said, especially if someone has experienced a stillbirth, that that traumatic experience often qualifies someone for a diagnosis of PTSD. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And where are we where are we even holding space for people? It's often not even viewed as trauma. Mm-hmm. Having a baby in the NICU mm-hmm. often isn't viewed as trauma. Yes. How many moms get the comment of, oh, you get a little mini vacation before you get started on your motherhood? Oh my gosh. No, and that's the exact opposite of truth. I think when I'm standing back and observing the sort of global trend that we're having, we are moving toward a paradigm shift and it is fundamental. It is paramount. It is very, very essential. I think what we're starting with is changing the language first, Mm -hmm. changing the dialogue. And the more that this trends, the more that we normalize the verbiage that we're using we're going to empower people to enter into the space. I think what happens is particularly among medical professionals who have, you know, significant tenure, I think that they have guards professionally, personally that prevent them from being vulnerable. And that's what we're asking people to do is to be vulnerable in this space. It's a very difficult space to be vulnerable into. And then when you have additional reasons professionally from doing that, then it's going to inhibit it even further. But I think what we need to see happen is we have a culture that microwaves conversations. Mm-hmm. We microwave friendships. We like to have everything very expedient. We like to have everything in 180 characters or less. And grief isn't that. Yeah. Grief is the long-term process, the relationship that a person has with this, what we're calling a one-time past tense blot on the time spectrum. We're talking about relationship here, and that does require time, and it does require vulnerability. And until we have some sort of a mathematical equation that people can factor in and say, two plus two equals, I will walk in and dim the lights and pat her on the leg and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. And then we you know, box up our things and leave. I think people are looking for exactly that, the sort of measured response that they can check their boxes. And we're not going to have that, but I think we are getting closer toward making it more tangible for the people who have the most reason to be afraid to enter into that vulnerability. We are coming up with still birthday as a curriculum is really, really effective for nurses 
It's really effective for seasoned doulas. And by the end of that, we do start the conversation of what are some tangible things? If you are a good neighbor and your neighbor knocks on your door and she says, I'm pregnant and I'm leaving, what are three things you can say? What are three things you can do? And so we are wrapping our mind a little bit more around some tangible, quantifiable tasks and things that people can say and do to respond well. Yeah, it's so needed. Just like for our doula training, Mm -hmm. the medical part of it is in the training for physicians and nurses, but I'm not sure the skills of holding that space, Mm -hmm. of giving that compassionate companioning Mm -hmm. in the loss, Mm -hmm. that's not always there. And the way that our medical system is, there's not even time. Mm -hmm. And so having other resources for families, I believe, is so important. Mm But I wanted to circle back because you said you invited people to ask questions. Mm-hmm. So what, what would that look like? How could someone ask questions versus making statements or having platitudes? Mm-hmm. So we offer a day training that really unpacks some of these tangible aspects of serving really well. And your most immediate thought with asking questions might be things like, well, why did this happen? And what did you do wrong? And um, did you eat a bologna sandwich? Did you pump gasoline? Did you have sex too aggressively? Um, You know, the mom is already probably asking those questions of herself. So I definitely don't mean those kinds of questions. I mean, very, very present, curious, vulnerable questions like sitting down next to her and saying, I want to know, right? Like we don't phrase that as a question, but we pose it to give her space to take the conversation and lead it. What rabbit trail do you want to take? I want to know. I want to know how you're feeling. I want to know what you're thinking. I want to know. I want to know all about this. I want to know. And just offering that presence for her will allow her to explore maybe an avenue of the situation that she hasn't even really internalized yet, that she hasn't really fully processed yet, where you allow her to be vulnerable that way. It might be that something that she never would have thought of and never would have come out. So when you come at a mom and say, oh, well, it's because of this, or you should just try this, that might be an answer for something that her heart isn't even looking at. It might be this other area that really needs to be poured into. You might be serving the wrong thing. You might be trying to give her something to drink and she's not thirsty. Mm -hmm. You might be trying to put a sweater on her and she's already warm. So we can't come at her with answers to questions she hasn't quite asked yet. So just to be curious and say, tell me anything. Tell me anything you want to say at all. And I just want to listen. And I promise you it's going to take two or three different turns in the conversation because there's just so much to unpack when a person experiences pregnancy and infant loss. There is, there is, because we can be aware of it, I feel like, but until it happens, no matter how much knowledge we have, It's just not the same as walking through it. No. 
-hmm. Yeah, and with different doula organizations, for example, they want to require doulas to serve two or three births for free at first or low, low cost, sort of get their feet wet. And still birthday steers directly away from that because the premise really is every single birth you serve is the first time you served that birth. Mm. And so you might be serving a mom who has herself experienced miscarriage five times, but now this is the fifth time. So this is very different for her and giving yourself that permission to be vulnerable, to not have all of the answers is very empowering. It's very freeing. It turns you away from that script. It might seem counterintuitive. It might seem, wow, I've been certified for one year, now two years, now three years. I must have all the things together. I must say all the right things, but it gives you permission to allow her to be the author of her story and that you're the witness. Mm. It's a huge role and we bypass how valuable it is, but you're, you're the witness into this experience. You're saying so many profound things, Heidi. <laughs> you really, really are. And that being witness, mm -hmm. having someone witness our grief, mm -hmm. having someone witness our pain, having someone witness our journey, mm -hmm. it's validating. Mm -hmm. And being in this birth field for about 20 years. A long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And helping families before that. So mm -hmm. I did my training. It was 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And helping friends and families before that. But when I step back, I feel like birth always teaches you. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I surprise myself like, oh, yeah, I know this, this, and this. And other times there's so much to learn. Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> and it teaches you. Mm -hmm. I feel like birth and death are part of the same continuum. Mm -hmm. And there's similarities in birth and death. And in that how do we want to die? Mm -hmm. How do we want to give birth? Mm -hmm. Who do we want there with us? Mm -hmm. Where do we want this to happen? Yeah. What do we need in a caregiver? How do we find someone that supports our values? Mm -hmm. There's just so many nuances and important questions that I think most of us don't even realize that it's important to ask them. Right. And I think that's a little bit of what we're up against too. I think that we are moving into a space where we are consciously being accountable to the stewardship over our life story, over our trajectory, over what we leave behind and our legacies. And I don't know of a demographic that's more in tune with that than the healing community. Yeah. So for the listeners that aren't aware, can you share a little bit about the services that Still Birthday provides? Mm -hmm, sure. Well, Still Birthday began on a free platform 
And really my heart cry was to translate everything I knew about birth in the third trimester with birth in the second trimester and birth in the first trimester and to carry over the language, carry over the paradigm that we have. Things like, can I have a birth plan? I want more than ice chips. I want a photographer. I want my man there. I want massage. How can I turn this medical event, this this um, quiet episode into the birth and the death of my beloved baby and all that that includes for you personally, for your family personally. And so Silberthy began with offering free printable birth plans and then a doula listing. And now we have a doula training that started shortly after that with perinatologists and midwives and social workers just really pooling. They just really were moved mm. by the spirit and the message of still birthday. And they just gave what they knew. And so it was stitched together, all these different perspectives of birth and of death. And now it's the training. And so I would encourage anybody to consider taking it. I think it's as valuable as basic CPR. I think that everyone should access that and be able to have that skill set. We also hold photographs of babies born in every week of gestation so that families can have an idea of what to expect. There can be a lot of fear, Mm -hmm. a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of, you know, laying eyes on your baby who isn't alive can seem like a very harrowing experience. Parents tend to most immediately see the differences between the baby who they're looking at and the ideal thriving third trimester live birth outcome baby. And it's important to close those gaps. And so we as doulas invite the families to, to see the beauty, to dare to see the beauty of their babies. Some families see that immediately. Another family more want to have permission to see that. They want to know that it's okay, that they can see how beautiful their baby is, even in such a devastating time. And, um, so we offer photographs and stories and more than anything, we offer community. We offer community for families who all they can do is click on Facebook. We've got something for you there. Families who really want to know how to support their loved one who's experiencing pregnancy and infant loss. We talk about tangible things you can do, bring soup. We talk about things you can say. And of course we offer the doula program. Yeah, it's so extensive. And I feel, just as you said, especially if someone is a doula, it is one of the most valuable trainings that you can do because when, because again, if you do this long enough, it's a when Mm -hmm. you face that situation where your client tells you there's, they just told me there's no heartbeat. Mm -hmm. or I had a placental abruption Mm -hmm. or I'm miscarrying, I'm losing my baby, you know, whatever terms they use, you still may feel really overwhelmed in knowing what to do, what to say, because that all comes forward. But having this training, having that foundation, it serves you and serves that family so well. And so powerfully. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such an amazing 
amazing program. And I'm so grateful that I took it. I can't believe it's been six years already. I know. (laughs) (laughs) Six years. I have. And I've watched it grow. And even as we're talking, I'm just sitting here so astounded at your knowledge, at your heart, at the compassion that you pour forth and how you just take the time to consider and look at all these different nuances. And one of the things that I've loved about the training is how inclusive you strive to make it. Thank you for that. Yeah, it is just incredible. And being a member of it, there's a safety. (laughs) I'm getting teary. There's a safety with you, Heidi. And I appreciate that. I've done a lot of different trainings and I appreciate how you strive so hard to create community for the families, for the doulas, for medical professionals, for everyone, and honoring each person's faith and where their boundaries are. Thank you for saying that. I feel like it parallels really beautifully, though, with what you do. I feel like you know, still birthday is a website. And so it requires technology. And when a person comes through the program, sharing all that they already have known and experienced and harvesting truths from fellow classmates from literally all over the world, they're walking away as a living, breathing still birthday website that they have a very unique and universal story to tell. And every podcast that you create, you're breathing life and sending it out into the universe. And you know that that is exponentially creating a legacy and sharing it. And, you know, still birthday is a place for all of us to come together to sharpen our voices and to share our voices. But if it's anything good at all, it's because of the people who have left their fingerprints on it and who have shared their stories with it. So any good that has come out of it is because six years ago, you took the training and completed it. So it's, it's all of us. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. It is. It's just such a beautiful community. It really is. And so if a family is heard that news that sometimes comes as a complete shock, most often does, sometimes for some of us, it's in the back of our head. But in that moment, what would you want them to know if you could whisper something to them? That they're not alone. Yeah. When you say that for some it's a total shock and for others that kind of might have known it in the back of their head, I think we all chew on that a little bit. I think that for any of us, it can be easy to say, um, you know, I, I should have known, I saw this coming. I, I, um, I had this gnawing feeling and then equally we, we carry this weight of 
how could I not have known? How could I have missed this? Mm. I think that we all do that to ourselves. And it's because we love so deeply that we are willing to be the bad guy for the sake of being able to point to a bad guy for justice for our baby. I think that we all have this inherent love, no matter how it's shaped or what it looks like or what stroke of which brush we're painting it with. I think that we all have this element of, should I have seen this coming? Equally with, I can't believe I didn't see this coming. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So just to be able to be vulnerable and authentic with anything that we're feeling, no matter what you're feeling, I promise that you're not alone, that your story is universal and it is unique. And that's, that's the, the heartache of it. That's the loneliness of it, but also that's the magic of it. And that's the wonder of it. And there's hope in that as well. Yeah. Again, your words are so profound and that's why I'm so grateful for still birthday and just social media. Sometimes social media gets overwhelming, but it is giving this voice that you're not alone because grief can be so lonely, mm-hmm. so lonely. Mm-hmm. And I think with infant loss, it's even more lonely because there's a bit of a taboo still. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I remember even doing my training and as I was supporting the families that had experience loss in that not everyone can talk about it wants to talk about it is able to mm-hmm. and it can feel so lonely and there is this comfort to know mm-hmm. that you're not alone and you can dip into the community and listen and share and learn and if you get overwhelmed you can step back a little bit And everyone's journey is so unique. And I love what you said, that it's universal, but it's unique. And there's not a right way to grieve your baby. Because sometimes I think we get caught up in that we have to do it right, or that Mm -hmm. it needs to be done a certain way, or it's been a month, everybody's saying I should be over it now. And what's wrong with me? Mm -hmm. And Also relaxing into that knowledge that most pregnant people are going to, on some level, blame themselves, just like you were saying of, oh, if I only I hadn't eaten this, if I hadn't done that. Mm -hmm. And even there can be guilt too, because you and I both know sometimes there are people that are relieved that they experienced a first trimester loss Mm -hmm. because they weren't ready. Mm -hmm. But then they feel guilty and they feel wrong for that. And to that person, I would just speak truth in that moment as well, that you have permission. You have permission to feel all the things, even the things that seem contradictory to one another, even the things that don't seem to make sense, that somehow in your own unique way, you are going to carry this mosaic of all of these things and it will be beautiful in its time. 
Yeah, and I think it's giving ourselves permission to feel it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and finding those people, I think, too, going through grief and these type of experiences, you do find who really can be there with you. Mm-hmm. And those that love you and support you, and they can't, they just don't have the capacity to walk along that journey with you. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. That's right. And it doesn't mean they don't love you. And I think too, preparing yourself that people can be so well-meaning, mm-hmm. but they're probably going to say something that's really going to hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, because we as a culture, we don't have enough education on how to support people through grief. I don't think we grieve. <laughs> Just I say this over and over again, but I don't feel we grieve well. No, I agree. I Yes, it's countercultural to grieve well. Mm-hmm. And even... Years ago, if we lost a baby, it was just this hidden thing and that we would Mm -hmm. forget it with time. Mm -hmm. And you don't forget. Mm -hmm. It causes you to reflect on your lineage sometimes too. Mm -hmm. Think how many sort of invisible branches of my family tree am I now more mindful of and sort of holding up in this space how many grandmothers and great grandmothers experienced this as well. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. And yet we haven't been able to reap the benefit of that. Right. Not yet. Because it was so silenced. Mm-hmm. So this speaking about it is hopefully just like with birth, we weren't talking about birth. And now this more openness is hopefully going to create, like you said, a different paradigm, a different legacy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm wondering, have you found that when we're grieving, that often it's like we can look for someone or something to be angry at mm-hmm. like you could be really angry at the physician mm-hmm. or being angry at the hospice lady mm-hmm. and I feel like we can almost find this scapegoat mm-hmm. for our anger mm-hmm. that's a really good word for it I feel like grief is like a tapestry and sometimes in order to really weave through it we have to work through one patch at a time and so we go to what we know. And so in our process of weaving through the feelings, the patchwork of feelings of grief, sometimes we start with anger because in our history, that's kind of what we go to. We go to history. I mean, we go to anger as sort of the gateway into sadness. And then we allow ourselves into the space of sadness. Mm -hmm. And then we have to come into a little bit of a patchwork of accountability of how am I stewarding these feelings? I tend to think that grief is sort of this invisible pregnancy where when you're raising a child, there's a lot of nurturing. And then there's also some discipline of, you know, you, you can't throw a tantrum in the middle of the grocery store, sugar, you have to get up. 
So I think that we have to parent our grief. And in order to do that, well, we have to realize that it is this tapestry. It's a whole mosaic. It's a whole entity that is comprised of all these very valuable parts. And so, yeah, I do think that sometimes we can only process that based on the information that we already have at the time. And so through practice, through habit, I think some of us, we do, we go through anger as one of those foundational feelings to sort of navigate it all. But, you know, we do get to a space where we can look back and see, we are able to look back and say, this is more of the big picture, the big I could move the frame out some and see more of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And sometimes the anger just feels safer in a way, mm-hmm. <laughs> like a safer feeling than this mm-hmm. grief that feels like it can just encompass you. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that's important just to take into your being. Mm-hmm. It can feel there are moments where the grief can feel so consuming mm-hmm. yeah. and that's normal. It is. It is normal. And I think so is turning to the anger. I think what you're speaking into there is that we can have more control over the situation when we lean into anger. I think that anger is a place of power, mm-hmm. a place of stability and control and grief, especially at the beginning is very vulnerable. It's very helpless. It's It is like that tapestry, but it's like being shaken in the wind. Mm -hmm. It's very hard to find a platform on it and a foundation and feel safe in it. And so, you know, you get there. You do, you do, you get there. You get to a place of seeing the foundation of grief and having that sense of authority in that place. But it's, it's very scary at first. It is, it is. And I think we aren't granted enough permission to grieve. Mm-hmm. And so I invite those that are grieving to give yourself permission mm-hmm. to feel what you're feeling. And often when we do feel it and acknowledge it and let it move through us, then it can ebb away. <laughs> Otherwise, it just builds and it builds and then it's like a torrent or a mm-hmm. big tidal wave or yeah. even recently it neared the anniversary of my stepmom passing. You know, I could just feel all these tears and all this grief. And I knew that I needed to just let myself cry, mm-hmm. especially when everybody's depending on you. And the tendency is, well, I have to, I have to keep it in control. I have to, I have to keep going. I have to take care of my kids. And mm-hmm. it's this balance, don't you think? It's like this ebb and flow and finding that safe space to let those emotions out. Yep. yep. I agree with that very much. You just have to give yourself permission to be vulnerable. It is. It's like parenting your grief. You have to sometimes discipline it and say, no, today I have to show up for work. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, other times you just have to allow that tantrum and you just create a safe place around it and say, okay, I'm going to lay on the floor and kick and scream and cry, but I'm just going to make sure that there's nothing breakable around me. I'm going to give myself a safe place to lay on this rug and throw a tantrum. Mm-hmm. To listen to that music, to let that song really wash over you, to 
take a warm bath, do whatever those things are that can help you enter into that space and really be authentic with who you are and where this journey is taking you. Yeah. Yeah. And to know sometimes it might just sneak up on you when you're not expecting it. Mm-hmm. True too. Yeah. And, and that's normal and it's okay. The message that I keep hearing you say too, that it's raw and it's vulnerable mm-hmm. and there can be power in our vulnerability. Mm-hmm. So if someone wanted to learn more about still birthday, how could they do that? Really just with a quick Google search, you can just write still birthday in your Google bar. We try to make it really accessible that way. I think through word of mouth, it's spreading too, but you know, the premise of still birthday is that a pregnancy loss, that's some of the language that we still are currently using. A pregnancy loss is still a birth. It's still a birthday. And so it's this place of convergence there. And so through Google or on Facebook, we try to be present where most people are present so that we can be found. Okay. Yeah. There's support for families if they're even in the middle of this just it really is mind blowing, mind shattering event at times. Mm-hmm. That that site is there. And it has birth plans and it has access to doulas and there's information that you can access as you're able to take it all in and know that initially you might just be able to take in little pieces of it, Mm -hmm. that it's there in the moment. There's so much that I could talk to you about, (laughs) so, but If you had a pearl of wisdom, you've shared so many, but if you had one thing that you would like to leave the listeners with, and maybe you could do one for birth workers and then one for families, what would that be? For birth workers, I would encourage them to to know that they don't have to know everything. I think that we do have a culture in the birth community that challenges us to race to the next, the next event, the next webinar, the next program. And it's okay to go slow. It's okay. Mm. It's okay to be vulnerable. And I would say something very quite similar to families who don't have a personal or professional interest in the birth community itself. But I would say, for families who have been impacted by a struggle of fertility, who have been impacted by pregnancy and infant loss, by any sort of birth trauma, by any sort of trauma, that it is okay to go slow, that it is okay to be the author of your life story, to be a responsible steward of your legacy, and to value what that looks like, that unfolding journey, that you matter. You matter. Yes. Yes. So thank you so much for this time, Heidi. You shared so much wisdom. So much wisdom. So did you. Thank you, too. <laughs> um, thank you, 
Thank you. And so for the Birthies families, for the listeners, I just encourage you to treat yourself with compassion, to allow yourself to be vulnerable and find those people that you can be vulnerable with. Mm-hmm. And there's so much power in listening and in those quiet spaces of silence. And as Heidi has said, this journey is yours. It's unique and it's universal. And you are not alone. And there is support out there for you. Again, as Heidi mentioned, there are extensive resources on the Still Birthday website. You can find resources on my website and you can reach out to me and I would be happy to support you in any way I can. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you found this episode helpful and it provided you some comfort or insights. For a list of bereavement resources or to connect with me for grief support, please visit my website at birthyservices.com backslash loss-support. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram at Birthies Loss Support. If you would like to help to support me in this work to hold space for grieving families, one of the simplest and best ways is to please follow, rate, review, and share, and share again this podcast. And please be kind, compassionate, and patient with yourself as you walk this journey of grief, remembrance, and renewed hope. Remember, there is no right way to grieve the loss of your baby or your loved one.